The following message is by Pastor Eugene Ahn of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Good morning. If you don't know, my name is Eugene. I'm one of the assistant pastors here and have the great privilege of bringing the word this morning. And we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, Your sins are forgiven. And now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for your word, and thank you for these stories in scripture that remind us of who you are and what you do and what your mission was on earth and what you still do today, that you are alive, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would tug at our hearts today. Not because of anything that I say, but because the word of God is being heard. And Lord, we just leave this time to you. Open ourselves up and ask you to have your way. Thank you so much, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. So, my parents, are they here this morning? They said they were going to come. I forgive them. So, my parents... (laughs) My parents are going through a situation right now, and most of us in this room aren't experiencing this yet, but we will be. I know I will be probably about 20 or 30 years. They're downsizing. And if you're in the process of downsizing, downsizing, you have this thing called a basement. And if it's not finished like my parents' basement is, what do you put down there? We call it storage. Sometimes it's called junk. Sometimes it's called things, a lot of things from the past. It really becomes this time capsule of storage. And I'm going to let, my, let you know what my parents had down there. They had my old bicycle when I was a child. This could have been let go. I'm not going to ride it again. But they held on to it. They also had this ping pong table. But because it had been flooded so often, it just had all their other stuff on top of it, balancing it. This is my favorite. They had a workout machine in there. That was brand new. That has never been used, but was an incredible clothing hanger. You could hang so many clothes from it. 
And so my parents are in the process of getting rid of all of this stuff in the basement. Now, are we talking about basements this morning? No, we're not. But we are here to talk about something that I call that metaphorical basement of our soul. That basement area we don't typically go to, but we do store a lot of stuff in there. Oftentimes, we we store a lot of deep hurts, wounds, unconfessed sin. And this morning when you showed up, you probably didn't even tap into the basement. Because right now you came, and hey, I did the same thing. I shaved, I, put, I dressed nicely. Some people, when I dress up like this, they're like, oh, you must be preaching today. You're not wearing your normal outfit. And it is true, because I want to present myself. I want to look up here, you know, appear nice, and like I've got everything put together. And that's so important in these social settings. But I want to ask you, what's going on in your basement. I want you to take a moment and think about some of those deep hurts, wounds, maybe unconfessed sins. And really think about that this morning because when I was preparing this sermon, if you, you may have seen the title, it's called The Forgiveness of God. It's really great when you get to preach about something and you're totally in control and you're like, you need to ask for the forgiveness of God. But when you're preparing, it's got to take a piece of you too. And so something that I'm asking you to do is something that I was doing. I went down to the basement, and I was checking out what's down there. And I was praying, and and I was asking God, Lord, what is going on inside of me? And the Lord brought up this broken relationship in my life, a person that I was really close to, and uh, a few years ago, just things fell apart. And you know what my honest answer was? I'm not ready to deal with that. I know I'm not going to talk about from the pulpit, God. There's no way. I'm not ready because it's too raw, too real. I, I just, I can't go there. And you know how he works, right? He's not going to let up. Th- this is why you're here today. And so for me, I I had to begin to honestly own up to some of this deep stuff and this broken relationship. And if you're like me, you're trying to do this thing. It's called fake it till you make it theology, where you just keep going. You don't go to the basement, but you just keep going and focus on, I I just got to put on the right smile and put on the right show. And, And as long as nobody asks questions and I don't go to the basement, then it's really, it's okay, But when I went there, I had to confess to a lot of honesty. There was a lot of bitterness, a lot of anger, a lot of resentment. And from a pastor, there was a lot of condemnation towards this person. I had created my own paralysis in my heart. I couldn't move on from this. I couldn't just let it go and keep going. But what I tried to do was live in this wonderful bliss of denial and just keep moving forward and bury the hurts and wounds. I didn't want Jesus to heal this part. I almost, in a weird kind of way, liked it. I liked having the bitterness and resentment and anger because I felt I'm entitled to this. This person has not done right by me. 
I am hurt. They've done wrong. But you know how he is. He wouldn't let it go. And I needed healing. And this is where Jesus took me this morning to process this sermon about forgiveness. To process this sermon about honesty and things that have paralyzed our hearts. And I have a question here this morning. What is paralyzing your heart? What has got you stuck? I'm inviting you this morning not to just get ready for fellowship time. I'm inviting you this moment to let Jesus do his work in you. Amen. That's why you came, right? That's why I came. Where are you stuck and you can't move forward? Is it a broken relationship like me? Is it bitterness and anger towards God? There's something that's happened in your life and you're like, God, I don't want to let this go. Some of us, we have addictive behaviors that are plaguing us. And we live by that fake it till you make it theology and we don't want to bring it up. But we need Jesus to go there. Some of us in this room may be hopeless even in our physical condition. Your body is breaking down. There may be a sickness that nothing is healing. No medicine is doing it. And you are wondering, God, what is going on? Or there's some deep wounds from your past that you're trying to process and and really you don't go there. But I want to invite you this morning. He brought you here for a reason. And he wants to go there with you. So this morning as we talk about Mark chapter 2 verse 1 through 12, I wanted to provide some context around what is happening in Mark chapter 1. Jesus is going around this area of Galilee, which is a, it's like a town. And there's multiple little towns within this little area. And he's going around to the synagogues. And what is Jesus doing? He's preaching with this different kind of authority. They've heard people talk about the word of God. But not like this guy. He's different. He becomes a celebrity figure. And this is what makes it so exciting. In Mark chapter 1, he is exercising demons. I mean, that is what people go to the movies to watch. He is doing it in the building. He is releasing people from demonic possession, and he's healing the sick. There's this amazing moment where Jesus enters into Simon Peter's house, and his mother-in-law is sick, and there's no one to serve the food, and so what they tell Jesus, Jesus, my mother-in-law is not well, like, you know, we're not going to have anyone to serve us. What does Jesus do? He walks over she has a fever, lifts her hand, and as she rises, the fever is gone. And so Jesus is doing these amazing miracles. He's healing the sick, exercising demons, and so we realize in Mark chapter 1, this is what he has the authority to do. He has the authority to heal the sick, and he has the authority to exercise over, he has the authority over demons, But now in Mark chapter 2, we're going to learn about what he's here to do. Everyone saw Jesus as this miracle worker. He can do some really neat things, but he was not on the mission, a mission to just heal people. He wasn't on a mission just to release people from demonic oppression, but he was on a mission to what? 
forgive sin. Forgive sin. The crowds that came to see him because of what he could do. But man, they were not ready. On Mark chapter 2, what happens? In Mark chapter 2, he returns back home to Capernaum and everybody's found out. They are coming by the droves. And I experienced this in one way at Woodfield. It's really funny. I randomly showed up at Woodfield and there were masses in the mall. And you can imagine, that mall is really large. And I was like, what's going on? And I tried to go see, but in the mall, it was just so full. Do you know who was there? It's Kylie Jenner. And this place went bananas to go see her. And because I'm so old and I'm out of the demographic, I had to add... Who is Kylie Jenner? And they're like, well, she's one of the Kardashians. Oh! And I just quickly walked in the other direction. I'm like, I have no business being there. But that was the kind of crowd that Jesus was attracting. He had become this celebrity healing people and doing some miracles. And so his house got so full that there was no room in the doorway. But then a group of four friends hear about this. And they've got this buddy that's been paralyzed. And so what do they do? They pick him up on the stretcher, as you can see here, and they carry him because what have they heard Jesus can do? This man can heal. He can heal the sick. He can heal the hurt. So let's bring our friend and let's get him healed. So they walk him over. They're carrying him over. And as they walk up to the door, what do they find? We can't get in there. There's absolutely no way we're going to be able to enter into this room. And so at this time, if you saw a house, it was a one-floor room that had an outdoor stairwell. And what did these guys, one of the friends have got to be like, I've got an idea. Trust me, I know what I'm doing. Goes up the stairwell. And imagine if you're the paralyzed guy. You're in here like, guys, uh, why are we going upstairs? What are we about to do? Hey, don't, don't worry about it. And they're probably just whispering to each other. I mean, he's already paralyzed. Like if we drop him... It can get much worse. And so they begin to break open the ceiling. This is a wonderful idea. We're going to find out where Jesus is at. We're going to open up the ceiling and we're going to drop him in. Now, if I'm the paralyzed guy, I'm like, I, I, I know I want to be healed. I, I want to be better, but this just doesn't sound right. Like, these, I don't know if this is going to be okay, but they were absolutely determined. And as they begin to drop him, can you imagine if you're the four friends? I mean, you're fist pumping like we found the way. They're high-fiving each other. We're like, our buddy is about to get healed. And who did it? It's us. Good job, good job, good job. And they're probably celebrating in what has just happened. And as they lower them, everybody sees this paralytic man. And Jesus, as he sees this, he is so astounded by their faith. And so in this moment where the entire room is expecting him to heal, the crowd is expecting it. The paralyzed man being lowered is expecting it. The four friends are expecting it. What does Jesus do? He looks dead in his eyes. And I love this photo. He looks dead in his eyes. Holds him really close. Son, your sins are forgiven. 
the entire room is just like, what? There was supposed to be this guy walking. Why is he being forgiven of sin? This does not make sense. And it doesn't make sense, especially to these people, the scribes. These were the scholars of the Pharisees. They were the smartest guys in the room. And if anybody knew, these guys knew that there's only one person that can forgive sin. You know what that answer is? It is God alone. And for Jesus to walk into, the, walk into this person's life and to say, your sins are forgiven is downright blasphemous. That is like me. I'm sorry, Mike. This is what I do in my training. I just choose somebody. It's normally the first person in the row, so don't sit there when I preach. But it's like me coming up to Mike and just saying, hey, man, all your sins are forgiven. All of it, what? Like, you can't do anything about that. And that's how the scholars, that's how the scribes feel. Like, who are you to say that? It's downright wrong, and you are equating yourself with God. They are referencing this proverb here, Proverbs seventeen fifteen. It says, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. What in the world does that mean? That means this, someone that walks into a courtroom, absolutely guilty, there's video, there's sound, there's witnesses, absolutely guilty, they walk into that courtroom and the judge says, you're innocent. No, that is not okay. On the other hand, it's this, a person that is innocent. All the evidence is there. There's no way this person would be convicted of wrongdoing. They walk into the room, guilty as charged. And that, if you don't sense that kind of outrage and abomination, this is absolutely detestable. That is how the scribes felt in this moment. There is no way this man, person, teacher, can forgive sin of another person. It just can't happen. And do you know what they do to people like this? In that time, they just take them out and kill them. They take them out and stone them to death. And I know when we talk about stoning here in this day and age, it seems so clean. Like, oh, they just throw like these little rocks at them. You are pummeling someone to death with a stone. I mean, it's one of the rawest ways to kill somebody. And that is what his declaration was worthy of. And so what does Jesus do? He gives them the side eye. Um, He knows what they're thinking. He knows they're very, even though the scribes, they don't say a word. I'm sure their body language, their eyes are opening up wide and loud and clear. But Jesus articulates what's on their heart. And he says this, why do you question these things in your hearts? Now, I hope you're beginning to understand this scripture is bringing forefront and center. Jesus is not just this amazing teacher. He's not just this person that can do really neat tricks and heal people and exercise demons, but he is claiming to be God and forgiving sin. And do you know what else? He can actually read our hearts. 
when we talked about the basement this morning, he's not shocked and surprised at what your thoughts were. He knows our very thoughts. And Jesus is saying, I know the heart of the scribes. And this is what it says in the Bible in 1 Samuel 16, 7. Man looks at the outward appearance of man, but the Lord looks on the heart. 1 Kings 8, 39, whose heart you know according to all his ways. 1 Chronicles 28, 9, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. Great news, everybody. You can run, but you cannot hide. And the Lord is here this morning and can hear what's in the basement. He knows what's going on. When I first got saved, I really tried to live out that theology of fake it until you make it. Because I had a lot of junk going on underneath the surface, but whenever I went to my church group, whenever I was with my Christian friends, I cleaned it up. I made it look right. I made it sound right. But I praise God that over time, he is teaching me it's safe. You can be honest. You don't need to hide. I'm actually, I want to heal those areas. I want to forgive those areas. I want to work in those areas. This morning, I don't want to get too far from this. Stay in the basement for a little bit. Focus on what, what is it that the Lord needs to heal this morning? And so what does Jesus do? After he says this statement, he says he looks at the scribes and asks them, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? And, you know, whenever I read that passage, I always wondered, what did he mean by that? And what Jesus was trying to say is this, what's easier to say, your sins are forgiven? Like, if I say that to Mike, your sins are forgiven, I don't have to prove it. I could just say it. Or, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And what Jesus does, he uses this as the showstopper. He uses this as the pause button. He uses this as the spotlight. If you forget anything, just remember this. Mark chapter 2, verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. It wasn't an implied thing anymore. They were not trying to infer from this moment with the, the lep, uh, with the paralyzed man that I think Jesus thinks he can forgive sin. He makes an outright declaration, this is what I do as the Son of Man. I forgive sin, and this is what the mission is. This is why I'm here. And he has that authority this morning to forgive us and forgive sin in our lives. William Lane, the commentator, says this, this is the only place in the gospel where the pardon of sins is associated with the Son of Man. Nowhere else in the synoptic tradition is it suggested that the Son of Man can forgive sins. It's the first time They've heard it. For all of us, when you grew up going into Sunday school, Jesus forgives. 
He forgives. But at this time, those people in the room, even the audience that's hearing, they did not know that they could be forgiven in this way by one man, and his name is Jesus. And so now we recognize that Jesus has the authority to forgive. And this is why he's come to do this. And so what does he do next? After this statement of forgiving sin, he amazes the crowd and tells the paralyzed man, get up, take up your mat, and walk. And the people go absolutely bananas. Now, I, I'm not expecting anyone in this room to do this, but the way it is, it is like celebrating back in the Chicago Bulls championship era. Do you remember in Chicago? Like, I went out in the middle of the night to shout and scream, like, we won again. This is our fifth championship, our sixth championship. It was so exciting. Has anyone been watching World Cup? World Cup is the same way. People are fanatical about their country. If they score one goal, not even two or three, just one goal, they go absolutely nuts. And that is what's happening when they see this paralyzed man that's been forgiven of sin, but also healed to stand up and walk. They are shouting. They are screaming at the top of their lungs. This is amazing and they are not giving glory to just Jesus they are giving glory to God you have done this work God it's amazing and I think it's just really funny that after he gets up he just cleans up after himself apart in the dust let me just take my mat and walk away and this is the humor I have when I do sermon prep I'm like well I guess he's got to clean up after himself I mean he's so used to everyone cleaning up after him he's got to pick up and go And so in Mark chapter 2, this is the story of Jesus, the forgiver of sin. And so what does that have to do with us today? Well, I alluded to it this morning. He knows. He knows that you've got a basement. And he actually knows exactly where you're suffering. He knows where you're paralyzed. And church, this is what I love and so grateful about our church in particular, about ICC, is that brokenness is what we do. Brokenness is how we want to live out our Christian lives in our honesty and not just trying to live on that top floor, but really bringing it to the basement and inviting Jesus to do that work within us. And I want to say this is that you don't need to suffer in silence here. You don't have to just try and keep a front to please me, to please, I mean, you don't have to please me at all. Trust me, don't. In my retreat group, I I was pretty honest, and I think I may have surprised them with some of the raw honesty, but what Christ has done, that forgiveness that I've experienced, I, I don't need to hide about it anymore. Jesus understood this dire situation of a paralyzed man. He knew what everybody wanted him to do. He even knew what the paralyzed man wanted him to do, but Jesus knew what he had to do. It's really work on the heart. Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 through 20 says this. 
but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. That the actions, the outpouring of it is just symptomatic of what's happening on the lower layer, on the deeper layer, in the basement of what's happening down here. And so oftentimes we can go into sin management and just think, I need to just make my actions right. I need to just stop doing this and stop doing that, which can contribute to helping, but it's not the root of the issue, what Jesus is trying to get at. And with the paralyzed man, what he needed more healing with than just to be able to walk again, or to walk at all, was to experience the forgiveness of God for every wrong thing he may have done, for every moment that as a paralyzed man, he shook his fist at God and said, God, why did you do this to me? I have, I'm actually better than these other guys. Why would you curse my life like this? And Jesus knew we've got a sin problem, not a paralysis problem. And that is where he went to. William Lane says this, that Jesus' pronouncement of pardon is the recognition that man can be genuinely whole only when they breach occasion by sin has been healed through God's forgiveness of sin. And what Lane is saying is that if Jesus healed the paralytic immediately before forgiving his sin, it would have only provided a temporary solution. What it's like is like this. If you have a, a, a hole in your tire, it's like you going out to your tire and putting a piece of duct tape on it and really saying, it's going to work. I trust it. Duct tape is strong. It's going to happen. Or if you're trying to put a Band-Aid on this massive head wound and just saying, if I just put the Band-Aid on it, it's going to fix the problem. The problem will go away. No, Lane is saying that we need to heal this person first, the sin problem, the sin issues. And this morning you may have come in and as we're accessing that area of your heart, inviting him in and confessing what is happening down there. This person that I'm going to talk about right now, you may have heard of. It's a person that was born in a way that you and I anyone in this room have never seen before. It's a person that was born with no arms, no legs, just had a stump of a foot. His name is Nick Vujicic, and he is on YouTube. He's a believer. But he was born with no arms and legs, and as he was born in the, the delivery room, his father was there, and when Nick was coming out, his father fainted because he saw that when the right arm, right shoulder came out that there was no arm attached to it. And his father fainted at that moment. And when he came to, he told the nurse, nurse, my son has no right arm. And the nurse had to say, sir, your son has no arms and legs. And this absolutely devastated the parents. And they said the same thing you and I would have said. Why, God? Why would you do this to me? And you think it was bad for the parents, for Nick? 
Nick was saying, why would you do this to me, God? You've ruined my life. All these other kids are running around with their arms and legs, but me, look at me. I can't do anything. At age eight, which is the age of my second-born child, Nick contemplated suicide. He said, I, I asked my mom to fill up the bathtub, and I was going to drown myself. I didn't want to live anymore. I just thought if I had arms and legs, I'd just be so much happier, but that wasn't going to happen, so I'd rather just end my life. And as he had tried to do it, he realized, I don't want to do this. I want to live. There's got to be something more. At age 15, he read John chapter 9, the story about the man born blind, and people were asking Jesus, what was, what was this man, why was this man born blind? Why, why? What did he do wrong? What was the sin in his life that he had done this? But Jesus said he was born blind so that the works of God may be revealed through him. And at that moment, Nick realized God's got a purpose for my life. Even though I don't have arms and legs, Jesus, I trust you with my life. And at that moment, he surrendered his life to the Lord. And Use me, Jesus. Use me. And as you look at Nick on the screen and you see his body, your thoughts are just like my thoughts. Like, how in the world do you survive? But this is his message, not only to us today, but to the entire world that he talks to. This man has gone all over the world. He's spoken to over three million people. And he is not hesitant to share about the good news of Jesus Christ. And he said, there is no point in being complete on the outside, but broken on the inside. I found out that God can heal you without changing your circumstance. If there's anybody in this room that thinks, no, I deserve God's answer. I, I want the justice of God. I have been hurt. I have been wounded. I'm not going to forgive this person. I've got this sin in my life I'm not willing to let go of. I want God to heal. Just do it, God. Just heal me of these issues that I have. I want to be better. I just want to move on. But like Nick says here, what's the point? If I've got arms and legs, but man, my soul is still messed up. And even though he has no arms and legs, he has far more understanding and insight that some of us in this room have that are fully capable to walk, that have full use of our arms. But Nick realized that arms and legs would not bring me peace. Jesus was the only person that could do that in my life. Jesus had to do that heart work at the heart level. And this morning, that's what he wants to do with you. He wouldn't let me go. When I was prepping for this sermon, I didn't want to talk about that broken relationship. I didn't even want to go there. But he wouldn't let me go. And so he was working on me. And this is the second point I want to say is that recognize that Jesus is the only person that can heal your heart through the forgiveness of sin. And I know it just sounds so elementary. I mean, this is a message I could preach to the children's ministry. It's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And even though it's so obvious and elementary, man, I forget. A lot of times I think if I just had some more money, I'd be a lot better off. Or if I, 
If I were physically stronger or mentally smarter, I'd be a lot better off. If I had a bigger home or if I had a better car, I would be a lot better off. If I looked a lot more beautiful, if, if, I, if the outside just was so much more presentable, then I would be happy. I would be satisfied. But all of this running, all that's happening underneath, we don't go to him to solve it. We actually run to everything else under the sun to solve it, which leads to more brokenness, more hurt, more wounds, more pain. And oftentimes, before we can even take it anymore, we finally go to him in a moment of desperation. And that is what we need to do this morning, coming to him. There may be some in this room that are very skeptical about what Jesus can do. You may be very skeptical about this teacher. And you may be stuck in Mark chapter 1 and just saying, yeah, I think he can do some miracles. I, you know, I, yeah, he forgives sin, but I don't really know if he's the son of God. And I really don't know what he can do in my life. And he's a good teacher and all, but I don't know. I mean, what can he really do for me? And I, I really appreciate how C.S. Lewis tackled this question in Mere Christianity. And it's... a a thing called the trilemma and really trying to understand Jesus in a particular way in these three different scenarios. And I'm just going to read this, pat, this quote from C.S. Lewis and sort of unpack it. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool you can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a good, a great human teacher. What C.S. Lewis is saying to us this morning, he can only really be one of these three things. He could be a lunatic, someone that went around and saying, I am God. I am the Son of God. Or he is one of the greatest deceivers of all time. Think about it. It's either this man was totally crazy and we've believed him and we're following this crazy cult, or he has deceived every person in every church in every generation that he is a Son of God, or which is the most logical choice. He is indeed the Son of God. He is indeed the one that was proclaimed in the Old Testament. He is indeed the Messiah, the rescuer, the forgiver of sins. And this morning, how do you see him? When you're in that basement, are you scared of him coming down? Are you concerned of what he's going to see down there? Or are you inviting him into this place and saying, Lord, I need you. I desperately, 
desperately, desperately need your help. And so ultimately, how can we receive the healing of our paralyzed hearts? How do we do it? We've seen what Jesus did in Mark chapter 2. And this morning, I believe he wants to do with us also. We've recognized he knows where you're paralyzed, and and we recognize that he's the only person that can heal our hearts and forgive us of sin. So how do we experience it? Mark chapter 2, verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, your sons are forgiven. And it was something about this act of faith, not just a passive moment and just thinking, yep, I believe Jesus can heal me. The paralyzed man sitting at home just saying, you know, I think he could do it. But his friends had to move him, get onto the roof, start ripping open, ripping open a ceiling. Jesus, I believe that you can heal. Please heal this paralyzed man. And this act of faith for us today is this, confessing our sins. And like I said earlier, this is a Sunday school message. Just confess your sins and Jesus will forgive you. But I think we forget how deeply honest we need to get, need to be in confessing sin. In 1 John 1, 9, this promise is true. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in that hope that we can honestly confess what's happening in the basement, what's going on in your life, I don't know. When I stand up here, I have no idea, but I have been praying for each and every one of you that you would not let the Lord pass you by today but that you would invite him in and say, Lord, I need healing. I am paralyzed here. I don't know what to do, and I need your forgiveness for this. This journey started for me when I started reading this book called Soul Care. Ron Walborn referenced it during Refocus, and this book is very similar to the journey groups. It's an opportunity to go beyond the surface level. I've had a hard week at work. I'm having a tough time in my marriage, but really getting deep. And for me, Rob Reimer helped me to go there with my father, to go there with my relationship with my dad. People had asked me so many times, is everything okay with you and your dad? 100%, yes. I'm 100% okay. I have zero feelings. I'm okay. I acted like a robot, and I just... Deny, deny, deny. I was on my upper floor like, everything's good. Don't worry about me, guys. I'm fine. I'm fine. And the moment Jesus took me there, said, no, I think, I think we got a sin issue here. I carved out some time really early in the morning because I didn't want my kids around. I didn't even want my wife around. I just needed to go there with, with Jesus. And it was in that moment that I realized just how much approval, validation, confirmation that I was looking for my dad. I never got it. And so I sealed it like a hot iron and just said, I don't care anymore. And when I began to confess the sin and the resentment and 
I would never say it, but there's probably some borderline hatred in there. I wept like a child. I wept in ways that I just had not wept in a long time. And Jesus began to heal me. And he began to work in my basement in ways that I wasn't ready for, that I didn't expect. Reimer says this, that time does not cleanse our sin. Only the blood of Jesus cleanses our sin. So we have to bring our sins to Jesus. I've had the Lord bring to my memory sins that I had committed in high school. More than a decade had gone by, but I hadn't confessed it. As he convicted me, I confessed it and felt his cleansing. In the world's mantra, they say, just let time will heal the pain. Time will just keep moving on. Keep moving forward. Move on with your life. But Jesus this morning is inviting you. Let's go there. Let's be honest about this area of your heart and your life. Because truthfully, and I love how Reimer says this, there is no transformation without confession. There is no victory in hiding. There is no breakthrough in secrecy. You may have come here to be healed. You may have come here this morning saying, just like the paralytic, Jesus, do your thing and make me right. Well, guess what? He wants to. But we got to go to the basement and we got to talk about stuff. And we're going to have to confess with some raw honesty what's really going on. Another truth to this confession is not only confessing it to Jesus because it's actually great and fantastic, but it's another thing to confess it to someone, a confidant, a brother or sister in the Lord that brings tremendous healing. And for me, living by this fake it till you make it theology, I could not share my serious stuff with anybody because I was too ashamed I was too scared of what they thought of me. But when Jesus, and I experienced that healing and forgiveness in my soul, I was able to be honest with a close friend, a brother. I was able to be honest with Pastor Stephen. Even though Pastor Stephen and I, we've worked together for years, I don't think I ever put stuff on the table in this way. I just said, this is what's really going on with me. And he didn't condemn me. He didn't fire me. He didn't revile me. But he demonstrated compassion and love. And here at ICC, that's what we want to be about, this gospel-centered community where we can be deeply honest and not judging, but loving one another and spurring one another on. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And one area of confession that I had not only with Jesus or close friends, but also with my wife and being very upfront and talking transparently and I know being a pastor, you should, you probably assume, like, you're already transparent, right? Like, right? Like, right? Right. Yes. No. I, Jesus had to take me there. It wasn't natural. He had to do this work within me. I want to invite you to that this morning.
as I talked about that hurt relationship in the beginning, I, I really didn't realize how much resentment and anger and bitterness I had. And I had to own up to those emotions. And I had to repent and ask Jesus for forgiveness because in my pride and arrogance, I held it over this person. I may have never said it, but all my actions declared it loud and clear. I don't want anything to do with you. And so, through this sermon, um, I reached out to that person. And I didn't even ask them to say anything. I just said my part. And I asked for forgiveness for the anger and the hurt that I had had towards them. And I had really destroyed the relationship. And thinking that I was winning, having a leg up or a one up, it was poisoning my soul. It was poisoning me. And it wasn't until I confessed that sin before Christ that I really sensed that healing from him. And so as I invite the worship team up at this time, I would really like to invite you, as we talked from the beginning till now, what's up? What's going on down there? So let's go to the Lord in this moment, entering into the basement, inviting him and confessing sin. Let's take a moment to pray. This is the great news about Jesus that as you confess sin this morning, He is faithful and just to forgive us of sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You may have come in here wanting your situation or your circumstances to be changed, to be transformed, to be made right. But Jesus has to start at the heart level with you. What's really going on here? And when you allow him, when you invite him, when you confess, Jesus, I'm a sinner. When you confess that I have had these sinful actions, these sinful thoughts, these sinful mindset against you, God. Forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me what I've done. So I want to invite you, take a moment to pray.